Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. I am continuing in my series this morning called Build This House. Um, This is now week, I don't know what, it feels like it's going on forever. (laughs) Jesus keeps interrupting it and Mother's Day keeps interrupting it, but I want to keep trucking because we're laying a foundation of where it is the Lord is taking us. And so uh, the theme of this series is Build This House. Uh, It comes from Luke chapter 6. I don't have the verse this morning, I'm just going to read it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. I've been focusing on the digging deep and laying the foundation. That's what we're talking about in these few weeks that we're discussing. Build this house. It's making sure we're laying a right foundation. The first week was the blueprint. The second week was about follow the process. That verse is you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As we navigate these two verses have driven us. The reality is this. Jesus is our blueprints and we must embrace the process. Those are the culmination of the last three weeks. Our blueprint is seen in Jesus. Who he is is who we want to become. And then we must embrace the process. We talked about pre-construction. We talked about uh, site work. We talked about finishing work. And, And I actually took two weeks to cover that. This week, I want to transition now to the next phase for me, which is we must have the right tools. If you're going to build anything, you got to have the right tools. So I want to talk this week a little bit about some of the tools that we need. By no means is this an exhaustive list, but as I prayed and as I contemplated, you know, you, you need tools to build something properly. You need tools to, to do almost anything. I can't drink my coffee without a tool. We don't think of a coffee cup as a tool, but that's what it is. It's a tool to get the coffee to my face. And all God's people said, (laughs) dear Jesus, help us with our coffee addictions. A tool is an implement used for performing or facilitating mechanical operations. Anything used as a means of accomplishing a task or purpose. All kinds of things can be tools. But a tool, is its purpose is to help us accomplish a task or purpose. Tools are often purpose-built. Therefore, construction. Therefore, destruction. Therefore, preparation. Therefore, assessment. Therefore, refining. Most tools fall under one of those categories. It either helps me build something or destroy something or prepare something or assess something. I was thinking about a level. I, I haven't managed to buy myself a level yet, and I was freaking out because I needed to hang some things for my wife in the house. And, and, and you know, if they're crooked, I, I will um, <clears throat> suffer under their crookedness for years. So I didn't have a level, and I'm freaking out. I called a friend. My friend was not home. And my son goes, Dad, I think there's an app for that. 
For sure, there's an app that you can get a level on your phone. I don't know how it works. I don't know what kind of voodoo goes into it. I don't care. I got the app. I did the leveling. It's magnificent. My wife is happy. I'm good. And, and, and so even my phone can become an assessment tool. Is this level? That's what a level, it assesses the levelness of whatever you're putting the level on. You've probably never thought that hard about a level. I did. I was blown away by the level on my phone. It, all these tools do certain things, but as I was reading, there are specific benefits for using the right tool. We want to just not have any tool, but we want to have the right tools because the right tools accomplish things. The, the right tool increases speed, efficiency, quality, and safety. As I did some investigating, you want the right tool because the right tool helps you get the job done more quickly and it is more efficient at doing the right job. It has better quality when the job is done and it increases safety. The right tool can actually make the job more safe. I doubt you've ever thought that much about tools. It also reduces the risks of mistakes, of errors, and frustration. If you've ever tried to do anything with the wrong tool, it is frustrating. Frustrating. Right? Or am I the only one that gets frustrated with tools? Hallelujah. So when we get the right tool, not only does it increase our capacity, it reduces those things that destroy us and frustrate us. And so today, I want to talk about some tools some tools that I think that we as a church need to make sure that we're, that we're using, that we're utilizing. When I was reading the definition of tools, it said mostly things that are in your hand are considered tools. I thought that was interesting. I would consider a bobcat a tool, but you control it with your hands. Most tools require your hands to use them. They, they require engagement, personal engagement in using them. And so today, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the tools that I think we need to make sure are in our hands. Are you with me? The first tool is our physical resource. We're sitting in our biggest physical resource as a church. And I, I, I felt like I needed to take just a moment this morning and talk to you a little bit about my philosophy on this space. The first thing I think about is this is a gift. What an incredible gift this facility is. We went to, as I said earlier, several hundred churches, and there are so many churches who said, if we only had better facilities, if we only had a better situation, if we only had this or we only had that. And I know we can get very comfortable with this, but this facility is an incredible gift. It is. It's an incredible gift to us as a church. Now, with all gifts... Nobody wants the gift to sit in the package forever. We have to unwrap and use the gift. People have given us gifts, and how offensive if we don't use the gift. So when I look at this gift, I'm mindful that it is a gift, and I want to treat it like a gift, and I want to take care of it like a gift, and I want to honor it like a gift, but I also want to use it like a gift and use it like a tool. This space is for us to use to enhance our ministry as a church. So there's two sides to this equation. The first side is we want to treat it nicely. We want to consider it. We want to take care of it. We want to, we want to guard it and protect it because it is a gift. I have sat in Chris Allen's truck. It is a gift to that man. 
And he treats it like that. He takes care of it. I was, I was driving down the road to the, the other day, and I saw a 57 Chevy that was gorgeous. That person treated that vehicle like a gift. He cleaned it, probably with toothbrushes, and wouldn't let anybody touch it. Like that kind of a taking care of. I want us to take care of this gift. But I also want us to use this gift. And I, and I don't know where Linda is this morning, and I know she, she hates it when I say what I'm about to say, but I would love to see people in this building every day. The ministry would flow from this building. It would flow in this building. It would flow through this building. Linda's our cleaner, in case you didn't know who Linda was. And she says bad words to me when I say things like this. And then she follows it up quickly. We're just going to have to hire more people then. No, I want this place to be used. Because the reality is this. This building is not coming with us. It's not. And that's not an excuse to mistreat it. Don't hear me wrong. This is a gift. We need to treat it like a gift. But I also believe we need to use it. I want us to dream of ways to use this facility. I want us to dream of ways to get people in here to be blessed and use it as a place to launch people out to be a blessing. Me and Cindy are together. I don't think anyone else is. No, that's it. I want this physical resource to be used, to be seen as a gift, to be taken care of as a gift, to be invested in like a gift, but I also want to see it as a tool, and a tool that sits on a shelf is useless. It has to be applied to be useful. So our first tool is physical resource. The second tool is what I've identified as unified or united presence. I wrestled over how to phrase some of these things. And you, you realize that us being together is a tool. The Bible says in Hebrews, I have the verse for you in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is not about us just being in the same place. The first step is us being together physically. As a church, it's difficult to be a church at a distance. It, it actually doesn't work, and I'll show you why it doesn't work in a moment. But the reality is, is we want to be in the presence of other people. As a church, we want to gather together because when we gather together, we encourage one another. See, that word encouragement comes from the same root as the root word for the Holy Spirit, and it literally means to call people to your side. You can't encourage someone at a distance. You have to encourage them up close. Or let's say the best encouragement is up close. When someone is hurting, when someone is in need, I don't need you to be 20 miles away from me. I need you to be next door to me. One of the great wickednesses of COVID is that people have convinced themselves that I don't need to gather together to be the church. No, you don't need to gather together to be saved. You need to gather together to be the church. It literally means the gathering together of people. So our greatest tool is actually our presence with one another. When you come on Sunday, I don't want you just to show up, come in late, sit down, and sprint out the back door. That's not what I want. I want people to come early because the coffee is good, because the fellowship is better. I want people to stay late because they found people they like being with so much they don't hardly want to leave. 
I want us to be encouraging one, one another. We should not neglect the meeting together as the habit of some. How many thousand years ago was this written? And it's as true today as it was then. The church is not done apart from people. It's done together. Now the problem with that is, is sometimes that makes it messy. But there is incredible beauty in that mess because encouragement happens when you're standing next to somebody best. So we've got to be a people who understand the importance of presence. Psalm chapter 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We all know this verse if you've grown up in church, but I, I was reading it again and I thought it's interesting. Our pleasantness is determined by our unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And you've all been in those circumstances where when you're united with somebody, it's fun to be around them. And when there's disunity, there's no fun to be around them. But here's the deal. Unity is a choice. I don't fall into a hole of unity. Did you know that? not just wandering along in my life and suddenly I trip and stumble and, oh, suddenly I'm united with people. Being united is a choice. So it's not just about being present in this place. It's the quality of your presence in this place that matters. I know a lot of people who go to church and be like, people there are snobs. And I'm like, well, how do you invest yourself in the church? How do you choose unity in the church? And I will find you the most miserable people in church are those that have never chosen unity for the church. I'm going to choose to be united to the people that are here. That doesn't mean everybody's perfect. Praise the Lord. I don't want to go to a place where people are perfect. Well, there isn't a place where people are perfect. But we have to choose to be connected to one another. We have to choose unity. And I realize that this doesn't feel so much like a, a typical tool, but the reality is, is we have to choose a united presence. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, I want you to read it. says, live in harmony with one another. I was thinking about that word harmony. Our praise team practices harmony on a regular basis. Harmony is when there are two distinct sounds, but when put together they make a more pleasing sound together than they do apart. Harmony is not the absence of difference. I think sometimes we think in church we all got to be exactly the same. How boring would that be? How painful would that be? We should be different. But as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we have to choose harmony. See, the praising doesn't just sing whatever song they feel like. Diana and Aaron were singing, and I heard harmonies this morning. It's not because they just picked whatever note they felt like singing. I realize some of us are blessed with making a joyful noise unto the Lord. You probably won't make the praise team. Sorry, Jesus loves you. Right? I used to have people when I led praise and worship, oh, God's called me to the praise team. Let me hear you sing. Nope, nope, he hasn't. Sorry. <laughs> Harmony is a result of an intentional choice to pick notes that complement one another. I think we can make incredible harmonies in this place when we choose to walk with one another in unity, not in identicality. I don't think that's a word. We don't have to be identical. In fact, they don't want us to be identical. I want us to be beautifully harmonized with one another. 
And so when I say we want united presence, I'm talking about a unity that is born of choice and harmony. Bible in Romans 4 says we're one body but have many parts. What are your multitude of parts? I think our first tool is that we approach church with a united presence. I'm here and I want to be here and I'm going to be here with these people because we're knitting ourselves together to do something beautiful for Jesus. That's our first tool. Our second tool is the tool of clear thinking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to read this verse to you. I have actually preached previously on this verse here, but it's been some time. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You notice I've highlighted two words here. These words both speak to the way that we think. The first word, awake, it means to be watchful, to be undistracted, to quickly perceive and unovertakeable. I like to invent words. We are unovertakeable. Now, I had visions this morning of having my son sneak out from behind me and then seeing him in judo, chopping him, but I was worried I wouldn't be unovertakeable and he would overtake me and it would ruin my, my illustration this morning. To be awake is not that state of being when the alarm is going off and you're doing this. I did that this morning. I'm like, what is that noise? Make it stop. Right? Being awake means I'm alert. I'm paying attention. I'm being watchful. And I love this portion of the definition. It means that nothing can overtake you. So it's a state of being where I'm aware of what's going on around me and I'm considering what's happening around me. I'm paying attention to what's going on. I walk in as a church member paying attention to what God is doing wherever it is that I'm going. Whether I'm at work, whether I'm at the grocery store, whether I'm anywhere, I love nothing more. I'm going to terrify some of you than praying with people in the grocery store. I love it because it shocks people. Maybe that's the unsaved portion of my being. But I like being Jesus outside of these walls. In all of this imperfection, I like taking him out. It means I'm paying attention to what's going on around me. I mentioned at the fair, we want a group of people that are just going to wander around. I want them to be awake. Lord, what, would, what are you doing here? What's happening here? What's going on around me? How can, I, how can I be talking to? How could I maybe even be praying for? Wouldn't it be incredible if we had prayer at the fair and someone gets healed? And I say incredible, but isn't that where Jesus did all of his ministry? We need to be awake. Second thing is sober. I do not like this word sober. <laughs> Easy now. Some of you thinking that pastor's gone straight to hell. No. I don't like the translation of this word sober. Because this word actually means unconfused, uncluttered, calm. See, we see the word sober and we think it just means you're not drunk. That's not what this word means. It actually means that you are in full control of your mind. Your mind is unconfused and uncluttered. We've all seen drunk people. They have confused minds and their minds are whirling with whatever thing is happening. I had a buddy in high school who loved to get drunk and he was just the dumbest drunk person. I'm like, I, I forbid you from drinking because you're just an idiot when you're drunk. Nothing to do with the morality of it. You're just stupid. Am I the only one who had friends like that, right? Your mind doesn't function properly. So this is what it means. 
It means that we are thinking at our peak performance. It doesn't simply mean not drunk. It means I'm thinking clearly. I have an uncluttered mind. I'm focused. In my mind, this also means that I'm creative. I want a church that is creative. We don't just do things because we do things because we do things. We do things because we've thought about them, we've prayed about them, and this is a really cool way to do something new. I want us to dream of new ways to reach people for Jesus. I want us to dream of new approaches to reaching people for Jesus. I want us to be creative, especially in Lawrence County. We have got to be creative because there is a church on every street corner. Doesn't mean there's life in every building, but there are buildings all over the joint. We need holy creativity. And so that means we have to have clear thinking, watchful thinking, unconfused thinking. We must be ready mentally for what the Lord has in store for us. So the next tool is clear thinking. The next tool I believe we need is purposeful service. I want you to read a little bit later in this same passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. So then, let us not sleep. Oh no, next one. I did the same one twice? Ah, oh, man. Ken, don't throw me under the bus like that. Shoot. Ken, I'm glad. I'm glad you threw me under the bus. I love, I love the bus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Let's go there. We all have Bibles, don't we? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. I want you to see this. If I can get there. Hey. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Again, we see this word encouragement, to call to someone's side, to aid, to strengthen, even to correct is what that means. Oh, Ken, quick on the draw. Nice job. Encourage. I've already talked about that. The second word there is to build up. That is literally a construction word. It means to make more able, to edify, and to strengthen. I want us to be purposeful about our service. When I come to serve, when I come to give of myself, my goal is to encourage people and to build people up. My goal is to lift them, to stand near them, to, 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 to give them an upward shove. My goal is to build them and make them more able, build them and make them more capable. Now, you understand there's two kinds of building. There's new construction where you start from the ground up and build everything pretty and new, and then you have remodeling, which is ugly. And construction people don't like remodeling because they have to redo what somebody else has done, and you have no clue what it is that person was thinking when they did it. That's what I'm talking about. And in church, we don't get to deal with new construction terribly often. 
I mean, I love it when we do, when somebody walks in the building and they have zero idea of who God is, zero idea of anything. We get to build that brand new. That is fantastic. But the majority of our work is remodeling, which means we got to tear some junk out. We got to tear some stuff down. We got to rip some stuff out and rewire some stuff. But it's always for the purpose of making more able. It's always for the purpose of edifying and strengthening. We don't tear stuff out just for the sake of tearing stuff out. Oh, do you see Sister Amy? She's in pants today. Jesus, help us. That church is going nowhere. And cut off pants. Did you see the bottoms of her pants? Jesus, help us. Thanks for wearing pants today, honey. Right? When I'm looking to correct something in somebody, my motivation matters more than what I'm saying. If I'm looking to build them up, it becomes obvious instantly. My brother and my sister, I love you. I love your heart. But you know what? I think you could be better than you are. I think you'd be, you could be more useful to the king than you are if you would do these few things. See, it's all about the end goal that makes it right or wrong. When I'm tearing you down so that I can feel better about myself, then Lord, help us. And if we're honest, the church universal has been guilty of that. I want this place to be about building people up. Yes, it means there will be correction. It does. It means Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, I need to fix that. And you know what? I'm going to bring brother so-and-so to fix it for you. And you're going to say, but I don't want brother so-and-so to fix it. I would like sister so-and-so to fix it because she's nice and she's nice to me. Right? There have been many moments in my life where I was like, Lord, if you had brought someone nicer to deliver that news, I could have listened much better. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't care. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. That's how he speaks to me occasionally, usually when I'm being a little bit snotty to him. Oh, Jesus, help me. Where am I? We want to be purposeful in our service. Whether I'm on the praise team, whether I'm on the greeters team, whether I'm in the nursery, whether I'm uh, on an outreach team, it doesn't matter where it is. And we're going to talk more about some of that stuff next week. But we want to be purposeful in our service. We're here to encourage. We're here to build up. That's our purpose. That's what this tool does. The next tool is we want to be intentional about our excellence. We want to be intentional about our excellence. This is about giving our best to the Lord and His kingdom. I don't know about you, but Jesus feels like the best thing that the Lord could have given us. In case you're wondering, He was the best thing. And how often do I give Him mostly my best? Or at worst, my leftovers? I want you to read a couple of verses with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I see people scrambling. Did I not put that one up there as well? There's running. There's sweating. Ha! Hallelujah. Whew, I was sweating. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, in the name of the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean I can walk up to you and smack you and say, in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean I can give you the left foot of fellowship in Jesus' name, right? I know some people that think if they put the word Jesus in there, they can do whatever thing. It's like the phrase, no offense, 
but then saying something offensive. I outlawed the phrase, no offense in my house. If you have to qualify, there's no offense. There's absolutely offense. Just me, apparently. In the name of Jesus means with the same characteristics, with the same mind, with the same heart, with the same attitude, with the same spirit as Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything with the same mind, same heart, same spirit, same attitude as Jesus. That is a tall task because Jesus was like, forgive them for they know not what they do while he was being crucified. Some of the most amazing words I've ever heard. Literally had people drive nails through his hands and his feet, and while he's hanging in there, waiting to suffocate to death, he says, forgive them, Father, because they don't really know what they're doing. I fall short pretty regularly. But my goal is to do everything in that same mind, same spirit, same heart, same attitude as Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, when we give, we want to be a church that is defined by excellence. We want to do things excellently because we're doing them for the Lord. So whether I'm, I'm getting communion ready or whether I'm up in the sound booth or whether I'm in the nursery or whether I'm teaching children or whether I'm going on outreaches or whether I'm at the fair sweating over grills, oh, torturousness. I'm going to do it with the same attitude, the same heart, the same mind as Jesus because I'm going to do everything for the Lord. I think that's the secret to success. I can go to work that is a horrible workplace but be happy and be joyful there because I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for a paycheck. I'm doing it for Jesus. I want our church to be intentionally excellent. I give my best to the Lord and His kingdom in the way that I consider other people, the way that I cooperate with other people, the way that I communicate with other people, and the way that I commit to the Lord. I want to be excellent. Being excellent is a tool. I don't know all of the, the, the people who mow the lawn or who take care of our grounds, but I drove in this morning, and I looked at our grass, and I smiled. Our grass looks good. Somebody does that unto the Lord. I've seen people out here spraying weeds unto the Lord. I don't care what it is. Whatever we find to do, we can do it in the, in the name of the Lord and as for the Lord. And we bring glory to his name because of it. I want us to be intentionally excellent. I don't want Jesus to get the leftovers. I want to be a place where we know the power of the tool of excellence because he's worthy of it. Amen. Empowered character is the next tool. Our next tool is an empowered character. Galatians 5 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. When we have the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control begin to grow out of us. My character shifts as the Spirit of God begins to inhabit my presence. My character changes as an empowered. I want you to read with me Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's telling us to put these things on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As I die to self and as I put on Jesus, as I allow the Spirit of the, of the Lord to rise and grow within me, these are the things that I get to put on. I don't know about you, but I could use a little more compassion. I think our world could use a little more compassion. A little more kindness, a little more humility, a little more meekness, a little more patience. Bearing with one another. This world is a cold place. You fend for yourself, you get thrown to the wolves. That should not be how we are in church. Forgiving one another because the Lord has forgiven you. Man, I want this to be a place that forgives quickly and builds quickly. Those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, you may be forgiven of your sin, but let's not repeat that same mistake, eh? And above all these, put on love. This word love is agape. It means goodwill. It means affection. It means benevolence. Benevolence is taking care of people in their need. If we will do this, it will lead us to harmony. 1 Corinthians 16 says... Let all we do be done in love. This goodwill, this affection, this benevolence towards one another. I want to walk into a place. I want to be associated with a place where people have goodwill towards me, where people have godly affection for me, and where people are benevolent towards me. When they see me in need, they're going to help me. They're going to lift me. They're going to strengthen me. They're going to build me. I want to be a part of that kind of a place. John chapter 13, verse 35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, this same word, agape, affection, goodwill, benevolence for one another. I want us to walk into this place and us to have an empowered character to be different, to live different. And we're all on that journey. I think it's unfair when somebody comes into church and says they're all hypocrites. You're absolutely right, we're all hypocrites. Let me help you. You're all hypocrites. Sorry, we're all hypocrites. Let me include that. Because we don't live up to the ideal. We don't. But in spite of that, we love one another. I want to be a part of that place. It says, I see you're not perfect. I'm going to help you keep growing. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to build you. But you know what? I don't expect you to be perfect. I love you anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to love you. I want to be a part of that place. And when people walk in, they're going to go, what is wrong with these people first off? And then suddenly that love will draw them. You ever been around someone who just loves everybody? It's hard not to smile around them. It's hard not to be drawn to them. Unless you're completely broken on the inside, which some people are. But it's hard not to. I want us to be empowered by the character of Jesus Christ, by the fruit of the Spirit, and that we would put on these things. I want us to be known by our love for one another. Sacrificial living is the next tool. I want us to live sacrificially. Romans 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It means something that is vibrant, that is alive, that's being turned over and surrendered. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, I want you to see this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's interesting. The sacrifice of doing good and the sacrifice of sharing. That's what the Word says. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. This word, do good, means to bring forth, to create, to make, to construct, to produce, 
to cause that which is prosperous or leads to well-being. It's not just any good, but it's what leads to well-being. It's what's creative. It's what brings forth things in people. I want to be a place that brings forth the best in people, that makes the best in people come out. I want to be a place that can build them up so that they can be well, they can be whole, they can be prosperous. I want to be a part of a place that knows how to do good. We have the sacrifice of doing good. Second word there is to share. That means to partner, to community. It's a state of togetherness. When I share something, I am together with you. I'm in community with you. I want us to walk into this place and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be together with these people. And as we grow, that's going to get tougher and tougher, and we're going to find ways to shrink what is a growing church. You can't be together with everybody that's even in the room right now. It's difficult sometimes, isn't it? But we're going to find ways to shrink the church so that we can have that sharing, that togetherness. These sacrifices, doing good and sharing, are acts of worship to the Lord. I want us to use the tool of sacrificial living, doing good and sharing with one another. Last one. Genuine spirituality. The tool of genuine spirituality if you've been in church any amount of time, you have come across people that you go, are they for real? Maybe it's just me, but I'm like, are they really for real? They can't possibly be that way all the time. They're not. They're just not. But I find myself drawn to people who genuinely know and love the Lord. I find myself drawn to those people that have a genuine walk with the Lord. Genuine just means real, a realistic. It's not perfect. It's not holier than thou. I can remember people that I was like, I do not want to stand near them because they're probably going to hear some stuff about me from Jesus, and I don't want them to hear it, right? So we all do these things, right? I had a guy in Bible college one time who came up to me and was like, I didn't talk to you for like six months because I thought I gave a, a, an interpretation to tongues, and he avoided me for months. Just because I was doing bad stuff and I didn't want you to, I figured Jesus might tell you if I was too close. It's not really how, I mean, it does work that way sometimes. But usually relationship is involved first. Usually there's a connection there. But I want us to be genuine. That means when we're having a good day, we can have a good day. We're having a bad day, we're having a bad day. I want people to come into here having a bad day and walk out of here having a good day. I want when we get around people in the church and we're having a rough patch that we can say, hey, I'm having a rough patch. And they can say, let me pray for you. Let me lift you. Let me encourage you. Let me build you. And suddenly I'm not having a rough patch anymore. I want us when we walk through the difficulties of life. Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. When it's raining in my life, I want to be able to say it's raining in my life. And we can go, you know what, I've been there. But I'm going to stand with you in the rain. In fact, I'm bringing an umbrella. You, you can't even find your umbrella. You have had those days. I've had those days. I can't even find an umbrella to get out of the rain. And up rocks a friend who's got the biggest umbrella you've ever seen. And they, they hold it over you until you fi finally come right. I want to be that place of genuine spirituality. And for me, genuine spirituality, <laughs> and each of these is a sermon in themselves, but we're not going to do it this morning. It's founded on the Bible. It's founded on God's Word. Hebrews 4 says His Word is living and active. 
Philippians 2.16 says, this is the word of life. 1 Peter 1.25 says, his word endures forever. Genuine spirituality is founded on God's word. Genuine spirituality results from abiding in the presence of the Lord. John chapter 15 talks about the importance of abiding, and it says life will come from abiding, fruit will come from abiding, answered prayers will come from abiding, and God's love comes from abiding. Why do we need to abide, stay in, wait in the presence of the Lord, walk in the presence of the Lord? It's because life, fruit, answered prayer, and love comes from that. Genuine spirituality doesn't come from being holier than everybody else. It comes from being in the presence of Jesus. I want to be a church that practices that. Genuine spirituality is spirit-empowered. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 says, Wait for the gifts, and I will clothe you with power. Genuine spirituality has authority and power to it. When I pray, things happen. When I talk, the Spirit moves. John chapter 14 describes the Holy Spirit as our helper, one who aids us. Genuine spirituality is spirit-empowered. Genuine spirituality leads to effective prayer. James 5.16 says the prayer of the righteous is effective. It means that when we have genuine spirituality, we pray for things and God moves. God does things. I want people to know about this church. You know what? I don't know about all the other churches, but if I go to that church, their prayer does something. Amen. Only a few of us want effective prayer. Personally, I'd love it if when people prayed, things happened. Okay, good. We're going to have to have a whole different ending to the sermon if that's the case. Spirit, genuine spirituality demonstrates a changed and changing life. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, I am being renewed day by day. Guess what that means? That means you're not going to look the same in five years as you do today. That's good news because it frees me from needing to be perfect right now. It doesn't say you're being renewed instantly. It says you're being changed day by day. That means as I walk, I can get a little bit better. I can get a little bit better. Uh, I went backwards. Oh, but I get to go better. I get to get better. Oh, oh, but you see, I'm, I'm still making progress. I tell my kids all the time, if perfection is required, I'm in trouble. What I want is an upward trajectory. I'm going to have ups and downs, but the trajectory of my life is still taking me up. I want you to know, children, your parents are not perfect. They're being, I didn't hear any amens there. Good job. Too lady and it doesn't count. They are being changed day by day, and maybe you would want some instant changing. I get that. I understand that. But the reality is, is genuine spirituality recognizes we're on a journey. This is not an event. I want a church that understands that and has grace for that. Genuine spirituality provides spiritual armor and spiritual covering. Ephesians 6, Paul uses the illustration of armor to talk about our covering, to talk about our protection. Genuine spirituality actually provides for us spiritual armor. Last one. Genuine spirituality gives understanding to who we're really fighting against. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, 3 to 5. We don't wage war against the flesh. And yet oftentimes it seems like that, doesn't it? But we don't. Our battle is not flesh. Trust me. 
<laughs> you know, in Africa, we are steeped in spirituality. Everybody is spiritual. They always laughed when they were like, people actually think there's not spirits? People actually think there's no such thing as spirits. They really don't think that. And when a culture is that open to it, you see it everywhere. And when someone gets saved, they always need deliverance because they have engaged in the spiritually wrong and they need to be delivered. We understand who we're wrestling against. I'm not wrestling against a political party. I'm not wrestling against a gender identity. Ooh, got quiet in here now. I'm wrestling against spirits and principalities that are deceitful and that are lying. You want to see our country changed? It's not going to happen in the ballot box. It's going to happen on our knees. Because we are not fighting against flesh. That person who stands in front of you, they're not your enemy. They, we don't need to treat them like they're the enemy because they're not. They're actually the deceived. They're the lied to. And we should have compassion on them because we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want to be a church that has genuine spirituality. I'm not talking about ignoring sin, but I'm talking about understanding who our fight is against. Sin is still sin. We've got to repent of sin. There's no forgiveness without repentance. That's straight up. But the reality is I want us to be a church that uses the tool of genuine spirituality. Seven tools I've mentioned today. I want to close by reading them again. I want to be united in presence. I want us to be clear thinking. I want us to have purposeful service. I want us to be intentionally excellent. I want us to be, have empowered character. I want us to live sacrificially. And I want us to have genuine spirituality. If we will use these tools, the house we build will be strong. It will be built fast. It will reduce risk and frustration. It will do all the things. It will be effective if we will embrace these tools. I'm going to close this morning. I know it's Memorial Day weekend and we all have things that are cooking right now. I opened the altars earlier because I knew that right now wouldn't be a time necessarily of altar call. But I want to ask you as I close in prayer, do you have your hands on these tools. A tool is most commonly used by the hand of somebody, no matter what the tool is. Most commonly, somehow our hands are usually involved in it. I gotta type into the computer and tell it what to do. I gotta grab hold of the screwdriver. I gotta use the power tool. Usually our hands are involved. So my question is, are your hands on these tools? If not, let's push towards that. Let's move towards that. Would you all stand with me this morning as I close this in a word of prayer? As always, if you want to come and pray, you're welcome. The praise team's going to pray for a play for just a minute. If something I have said this morning, the Holy Spirit has amplified, and you need to come and spend a little bit of time with Him, then we're going to make it open. But I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed when I'm done. But if you want to come spend some time, be free. If not, be blessed. As you go out, I would ask that you would talk outside the sanctuary so that those that are 
praying can have a quiet moment with Jesus in here. But as you go, be blessed as you go this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us these and many more tools. Father, I've just barely scratched the surface. But Lord, we want to be a people who are unified in our presence with one another. We want to be a people who are thinking clearly. We want to be a people who serve purposefully. We want to be a people who are excellent at what we give to you. We want to be a people who have been empowered by the character change that you bring. We want to be a people who live sacrificially. And more than anything else, we want to be a people with genuine spirituality. Father, as we walk out of this place today, Lord, help us to lay our hands on the tools that you have for us so that as we build this church, we build with the right tools. Father, as people eventually leave this place this morning, will you go with us? Lord, if there are some who come, Lord, meet them here as they pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask all these things now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you want to come and spend some time with Jesus, be free. Otherwise, be blessed as you go.